Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today, I'm so excited, is Christy Tennant Crispin with a Foster Life podcast. I'm just going to jump right in. Tell us when your life intersected with the foster care system. Yeah, that's a great question because that's actually the first question that I always ask my guests. So it's nice to actually be on. It's fun to be on the receiving end of that. Um, I was about 30, 31 years old, and I had just come out of a relationship that I thought was going to end in marriage, and it did not. And I was commuting to work one morning in Manhattan, and there was an, a newspaper article about some children in New Jersey. And it, it, as it turns out, is a very high-profile case of some kids who um, were terribly abused and neglected in a foster care situation. They uh, were brothers who had been placed in a home. Um and their their foster slash adoptive uh, parents were just going on trial um, for the abuse that they had suffered. And that put the whole thing on my radar. Just that article, I can still see the pictures of the boys, that put the whole thing on my radar. And as a single woman who was 30 slash 31, had a great job, had a, a nice apartment, had a lot to offer, I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm probably never going to get married, so I'll probably never have a kid. Um, but I could totally give a safe home to a child. And that put it on my radar. And it, the idea never went away. Let's see. I ended up marrying my husband when I was 36 and he was 41. And we had discussed before we even got married the idea of doing foster care instead of having our chil- our own children or, you know, biological children. And um, and so we went into marriage knowing that's what we were going to do. And two years after we got married, we got licensed and that's what we did. So when you were a single woman thinking about it, did you check into it or did you think maybe you couldn't because you were single? Or did No, you? I did check into it. Yeah. And there's a little story there too. I mean, you know, there are these little signs throughout my journey of just how broken the system is. And in this case, I was living in New York City And I went to an orientation, filled out all the paperwork, turned it in. Um, At the orientation, the social worker who was leading our orientation was very visibly intoxicated. She was drinking throughout the whole orientation time. And when I called like a couple weeks later, I was calling both to inquire about my status, having sent my paperwork in, but also um, to kind of put in a, you know, a complaint about that. They said, oh, yeah, we never got any of the paperwork from that orientation. So my paperwork never even got turned in. Um, and I remember just thinking, wow, like. What a shame. <laughs> I want to even get involved in this. Yeah. And, um, you know, that could have been an outlier. That could have been like a one-off experience. I'm not suggesting that the entire. And it could have totally shut you off for the whole thing. It could have. It yeah. could have. What ended up happening was I ended up changing jobs right at that same time. I ended up getting approached to do a different, to totally change careers. And I remember thinking at the time, if I take this new job, the hours were different. There was a lot of travel. I was like, if I take this job, I will not be able to foster right now. And so I shelved the idea, but the idea never went away. And then when I was dating my now husband and we started talking about what do you want in terms of kids and family, I said to him, I I want to be a foster parent and maybe adopt or maybe just have a lot of kids that come and go. But that's what I want to do. And he was like, I love it. And we were on the same page the whole time. And we've never gone back. We've been 100% on the same page 
ever since. And we've been all in, both of us together. How long have you been fostering? It'll be six years um, at the end of this month. This is the month that we got licensed. Really? And Mm -hmm. have you adopted any of your children? We've adopted three children, Mm -hmm. and we are in a home study right now to adopt another child. And um, we have. Was that your plan going in, or were you only going to foster? We just said we're open to anything. We, yeah, we were open to anything. I think I had enough insight to know. I mean, I've learned so much, and there's a lot I did not know at the beginning. But um, we went in knowing, like, this is not about primarily about adopting. This is about being that safe place for kids while things are getting sorted out. Right. Because um, reunification yeah. is always the number yeah. one. And I know that that's hard for some people. Yeah. They say, when I was working with a, a recruiting for foster parents, they would say, oh, it'll break my heart. And I didn't want to say it out loud, but I'd say, well, ra- better your heart than theirs. Absolutely. You yeah, know, but yeah. um, you do, you want it to break your heart and it right. should hurt when they go home. Um, you love these kids mm-hmm. and it does hurt. And I mean, I think people need to know going in, it does hurt and you should still do it. <laughs> Is that why you started the podcast? Yeah. So the podcast was actually my latest thing. But prior to that, you know, when we first, you know, were placed with children, with our first children, um, we began that huge learning curve. The learning curve is huge. And um, there's just so much that we realized we didn't know. And we had to sort of figure it out. And those first six months, especially, I just remember thinking, gosh, why didn't anybody tell me this? Why didn't anybody tell me this? You know, (laughs) and um, I'm the kind of person who I'm a go-getter. I've always been a go-getter. And if there's something that I need, I find out, you know, I'm really resourceful. But I remember just thinking, like, I remember looking online for resources and just not finding anything. And I would go on YouTube and the YouTube channels that I found that dealt with foster care were either foster care agencies that were putting like a romantic view on it and really like painting just this sort of happily ever after story and glazing over a lot of the really hard parts of foster parenting, or they were foster youth who had been mistreated or um, had lots of complaints, and they were doing channels to talk about their mistreatment in foster care. There wasn't anything I could find that was foster parents really telling foster parents what it's really like, and then how to be prepared and how to get skills in order to really help our kids well. So I did what I do. I started a resource. <laughs> and I started a fostered life. It's a YouTube channel. And um, and at first, um, I wasn't really sure how long I would do it. But it's one of those things that as I've done it over the years, and I've heard from people all over the world who have let me know that this content that I'm creating is helping them. And so I'm, if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a one with a two wing. The ones are the reformers or sometimes called perfectionists and the two are the helpers. So I like to reform and help. <laughs> wow. Like those are my things. And <laughs> that so explains it all. <laughs> I know it explains it all. And I didn't even know that when I first got into it. But um, I started creating these things and then hearing from people, letting me know, you know, this is helping me. And some of the emails I've gotten have been just incredible. I mean, people saying things like this video saved our placement. Um, We were about to give up and have this child moved. And this video is why we're not. And I was just like, okay, I I guess I have to keep doing this. So I'm a foster grandma. 
And we've adopted, my, we, I say we, my daughter and her <laughs> husband have adopted three children. Yep. So they have four now. And I am so in love with those kids. But holidays are hard. And so I went to their place for Thanksgiving. And you just see this sweet, sweet child who's basically saying in every way they can, I'm going to make you hate me and get rid of me now before it hurts too much. Mm-hmm. And you know, my daughter knows enough and she she's worked in the system and she's going to school for it. And so it's like, yeah, tough luck. Do whatever you want. We're still going to love you. Yeah. And that that isn't easy. But I think, like you said, when people come in knowing it's not going to be easy and they're not going to be like so grateful that you're there no. taking their parent, you know, taking over for being a parent because they want their own parent. Yeah. Uh, the movie. Yes. Instant and, family? Yes. Yes. Do you want to say how true that is? Sure. Well, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually wrote a review of that movie for Vox. And um, and yeah, there was a lot that that movie got right. I think I would say for a Hollywood blockbuster type film, um, they got a lot right. Um, there's a lot that they still glossed over. You know, I remember in my review, I mentioned some things and the editor of Vox took them out. And I was like, well, this I'm keeping it real here. And she was I don't know. She didn't tell me why, but she kept taking these things out, you know, because I was trying to keep it very real. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I think it did give a good insight and they touched on a few important things. Um, There are a couple of things I think that they could have done better. But yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie to see, I think, if you want to foster, because, you know, a lot of times people will paint that, like you said, I like the word romantic picture, and that's just not the way it is. You know, you want to be a foster parent, you're trying to be nice, they want to go home, they're scared, they don't know you from Adam, and, you know, I think that... um, uh, of course, I think it's a wonderful thing to be a foster parent, especially if you can come in with that attitude. My uh, best friend adopted two sibling groups, mm-hmm. and I asked her when I when my daughter was getting into it, and they my daughter and her talk a lot. I said, "Would you do it again?" She said, "If I did it again, I would go in with a whole different attitude. I wouldn't expect." Yeah, you know, she goes, "I was naive, and I expected them to just think we were great for taking them in." And yeah. now they are. Her kids are older. And, oh, I just get so tickled when I see, especially her and her son, uh, talking and they giggle. Yeah. They're just laughing and giggling and having a great time. Yeah. So tell me, uh, you do the podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you still do the YouTube channel? Yes. So I did the YouTube channel for five years. And I realized that I was really, I mean, I'm still doing it. But um, I realized that one of the things that I need m- and that I think every foster parent needs is a community of people who understand what they're going through. And um, I found it really hard to be involved with a support group. I have been into a couple of them, but from timing to how often they meet, if you know, they mostly meet once a month. And if how many kids you have. And how, yeah, and how many <laughs> kids we have. And as it turned out, the one we were going to happened to be also on the same night as um, Boy Scouts, which one of my kids was involved with. So it was just really hard to get to the support groups, but I really needed that. And I know a lot of other foster parents need that. So um, a couple years ago, I got this idea and I registered a domain name, but then I never did anything with it until the beginning of this year. And it's uh, the Flourishing Foster Parent. And so this is separate from a fostered life, but it's born out of that. And it's more of like a um, a membership kind of intimate um, way for foster parents to con- connect with each other. So we have a weekly live coaching call 
that I host, and sometimes I'm the one doing the talking and leading it, but more often I bring someone on who's a, um, a, a professional in some field that relates to foster care or um, a seasoned foster parent who has insight to offer. And so we have these weekly calls and then I record the calls and I make those available to people who are involved with the flourishing foster parent. And it's a, it's a, a way for me to have two way interaction with this group. I would call it almost like a cohort of foster parents. And it's been amazing to do that. And that's where YouTube was so one way. It was me putting content out there. I have no idea who's watching it. And honestly, as my kids get older, I'm really mindful of the fact that um, anytime I'm talking about foster care, I'm their story is woven in and mm-hmm. I want to protect them. You know, I'm I'm torn between wanting to help others and really believing that the way to help them is to share the things I've learned, but at the same time wanting to honor and protect my kids' story and the story of the families they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's this, you know, tenuous balance of wanting to do that. And so by creating the Flourishing Foster Parent, it's a little bit more of a private group where peop- where there's a little bit more accountability because we're able to share with each other and able to, over the course of time, really support one another. So um, I host the calls and I'm essentially there to do the coaching and to offer things. But, you know, I'm as encouraged as anyone by the people who are on the calls with me and, and the, the people I've connected with from throughout the world. I've got folks who are in the UK and in Canada and in the US, really English speaking countries. I think, you know, they have to be able to communicate, you know, <laughs> and but um, but it's just been it's been great. So that was born out of that. But along the same lines of wanting to create public resources to help people without it being about my family and my story. My husband um, recommended that I start a podcast, and I actually hosted a podcast from 2008 to 2012 called I Am Conversations, where I interviewed artists and other creative professionals, and um, I was based in New York at the time. And my husband, I was doing that when we met. So he was like, this is something that you've done, you love, you're good at. Why not do that where you're interviewing people in the foster care world and getting their stories and, you know, sharing content that way. So I started the podcast and I am so proud of it. It is something that, um, you know, people have just shown so much interest. And what's really cool is that more than half of my guests are actually former foster youth. Um, most of my guests are people who were at one point in time in foster care. Some of them have gone on to become foster parents. Some are social workers and then others are not former foster youth. But, um, my goal is to just have research. I want to educate people and empower people to do a better job for the kids. That's what it's all about. I feel like if foster parents are more equipped, if they have a solid understanding of trauma, what trauma does, what trauma does to a brain, a child's brain, um, and even just what to expect and then tools for handling the hard things that come up. Um, and I think one of the most effective ways to do that is to hear from former foster youth themselves for them to say, here's what we wanted when right. we were kids, you know. Yeah, in the whole trauma thing, you know, I, I think it's so amazing how, um, like I was talking about the holidays, they're acting out. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And my coworker, AJ, and I have had this conversation several times when he has a four-year-old and he'll do something. And instead of saying, why did you do that? He'll say, what did you do? And I love yeah. that because if you say why, they don't know. They don't and I know. noticed that with my grandkids, 
they don't know. It's it's almost like the impulse of a little kid that just like they'll just hit you and and you know you not even a foster kid, just any kid. Yes. And you're like, what was that? And they're like, I don't know. I couldn't help myself. Yeah. But understanding that, you know, and I think sometimes if you've dealt with kids or or have have kids and then bring in foster kids, sometimes you have more of an understanding. I think sometimes when you just want a baby so bad, that might be hard because you have this expectation of you know, what they may be like. and Sure, um, sure. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting too. I think everyone who becomes a foster parent has to check their motives. Mm. Like you just said, if you want a baby so bad. And, you know, if you're doing it because you want a baby, you're um, you're going to experience some real heartbreak. I yeah. mean, there's heartbreak anyway, but um, those expectations can really be dangerous. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the more you can get educated and the more you can go into it, um, understanding the nuances, you know, there's a book that's called The Primal Wound, and it's about, um, it's about the, the trauma that babies experience when they're taken from their birth parents and placed in adoptive homes. And that's just one type of trauma. Right. You know, add on to that maybe years of different things that kids experience. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing that, you know, knowing that kids are not blank slates. Right. Even when they come out of the womb, they're not blank slates. Right. And, um, and so really knowing that you're entering into a relationship with a formed human being mm-hmm. and they bring a lot to it. And so you can't look at it like you are the one that's going to form them. It's really something where you're forming each other. And you'll sure you'll definitely be influential in their lives, but they're going to be influential yeah. too. I've learned so much from them because I'm grandma. So when I go, I just talk and ask them questions and I just get so tickled with them. I, I'm wondering what you might say to people like families and friends. How how can families and friends support a foster parent, because I know a lot of times, well, the one thing that I know is people ask really crazy questions like, yeah. are all those yours? Are you oh, going to keep those? Gosh. And the kids hear everything. Oh, but yes. what are some some ways that, you know, we as family oh, and yeah. friends can help mm-hmm. a foster parent or foster family? Yeah, definitely check your questions. I mean, you know, everything from are those kids all yours to <laughs> who's their father? Who's their mother? Do they share the same father? You know, those are just super personal questions. It shocks me when people feel, you know, totally free to ask these like really invasive questions. Yeah. Um, do you get to keep them? How much do you get paid? <gasps> these are all like questions mm-hmm. that um, people have asked in different, somewhat delicate ways. But still, you know, you can Google those things. You don't need to, right. you don't need <laughs> to ask me that. Um, but I think also, you know, in the support way, People don't think of this very often, but when someone welcomes a new baby into their home, it's not uncommon for maybe a church community or friend community to set up like a meal train. And we've never had that happen. We've Mm. had 17 kids come and go. We've had a couple people over the years who have brought us meals. But I mean, you know, I just think that's one thing that people could do. Just if you know a couple has brought a new foster child into the home. Offer to set up a meal train or just set it up and have people sign up and, you know, ask them when when would be a good time to bring meals and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe ask your friends to set up an Amazon wish list for their kids. You know, I, we don't do baby showers most of the time for foster parents. A lot of times because there's no warning, you know, right. they, you're licensed and then you find out that um, you're getting a child like three days later or the next day or even that night. But maybe have your friends just say, hey, we want to support you. Why don't you make an Amazon wish list that we can, you know, look at and support you that way. Um, And then offer to babysit those kids. 
don't say, let me know if you need any help. Say, hey, this Friday, I've got five, you know, four hours. Why don't you guys go out to dinner and let me come and stay with the kids for a few hours? Those kinds of things, that gives such life. Um, Foster parents definitely need breaks. And people don't, yeah, I mean, a lot of times we don't even know what we need. Um, So just offering to do it. And I was thinking, too, trauma training at churches, Mm -hmm. because the worst thing is when you get a foster child that's struggling and then they keep calling you out of church, it's like that might be the one hour you get. Oh, yeah. A little break because they are intense and it's wonderful. Yeah. But also, I mean, my youngest was so intense. He was not a, you know, he was not a foster child. He was just so intense. And I tried to go to church and they kept calling me out. And finally, I'm just like, I'm not going to go. It's not even worth it. Yeah. So, and I know that teachers are getting more of that ACEs trauma training. And I think that that helps because. We, we assume kids act a certain way, and when we have no idea where they're coming from, you know, right. we make an assumption that's just wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the most meaningful things that I've experienced was uh, I enrolled one of my children one year in a vacation Bible school, and it was not going too well. <laughs> it just wasn't. And instead of having me come and get him or instead of, you know, telling me about what was going on, they assigned an adult just to be his buddy for that whole week. And oh. there was one volunteer, wonderful woman, um, who just was his buddy for the whole week. And if he was struggling, she would just distract him. She would take him out and play with him. What a gift. And so it was a huge gift. And that is not the norm. They usually just call you and tell you your kid is acting up and you go get them. You're in the middle of Target. You've got a shopping cart full and you get a phone call from the school. Your kid's up in a tree. We need you to come <laughs> and get him. And or whatever it may be. Right. And it's like when people handle it and don't involve you if they don't have to, it's because you have enough to handle, like, honestly, yeah. when they're not at school or at church. Or right. And especially if you have more than one. And, mm-hmm. you know, the big thing is sibling groups. The yeah. the um, kids that my daughter adopted, one they got when she was a baby, and they never asked for a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they didn't have anything. And within minutes, they had car seats, everything. Yeah. But the other two were siblings, mm-hmm. which is so great if you can keep siblings together. But, you know, that's a whole, they've had to parent each other. So there's, you know, there's all of that. But I think if you love kids and you're willing to just be patient and not take things personal, mm-hmm. um, you'll have better success. Before we go, what? tell me more about the flourishing life. Is it all on the same page? Yeah. So everything lands on a fosteredlife.com. So if you go to a fosteredlife.com, you'll find links to my YouTube channel, my podcast, and the Flourishing Foster Parent. And um, there's a blog, and I share a lot of resources there, recommended resources. That was a great thing. one you did before vacation. Mm, that was really thank great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So you can find everything there. And, you know, my heart is really that I don't want any foster parent to feel alone. That is that is really what motivates me because I know that if a foster parent is burned out, it's going to trickle down to the kids. Yeah. If a foster parent is feeling frustrated and unsupported, they're going to burn out, and that's the, you know, our kids need us to be the lighthouse because yes. if we've got two ships that are constantly tossing in the way, you know, the right. waves, nothing good is going to happen. But if we can find a way to get the support we need, the tools, sharpen our tools. Mm-hmm. I do a lot on training people in positive parenting techniques and trauma informed positive parenting techniques, because if we can get those things down and support our kids that way, um, we can be the steady force that they need 
because they need something to gauge, you know, and model off of. So it'll make a world of difference. It will make a world of difference. And longevity is the thing. You want to keep the volunteers. You want to keep the foster parents in. My daughter, when they had, you know, sometimes when the kids leave, it's so traumatic. You know it's going to happen. It's still traumatic. And her other friends that she had met through foster care were foster parents. They just came and took her to a movie took her out for the night and got a babysitter for the other kids. And it was so great because no foster parent should be alone. That's right. We, yeah. You really need support. And, you know, I know having a difficult child, people rolled their eyes at me all the time and they're going up the down escalator, whatever. It's like, let's just have some grace, yeah. you know, for these children. Mm-hmm. Well, before we leave, is there anything else, a way that they can get a hold of you? Do you, are you looking for people to interview? What would support you? Oh, yeah. I love to hear from people. If you're if you have a story you think would be interesting for the podcast, you can contact me at Christy. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y at a fostered dot com. And um, there's also contact information on the website. But I love hearing from people, feedback, um, stories and um and yeah, I mean, I learn every day. I learn every day. And, it, you know, also not all foster kids are the same. That's you know, true. And what works for one won't work for the other. So I think right. it's just really important also to stay humble, um, take risks, you know, be willing to fail. Um, I, I love that because saying sorry is Huge. like, it goes a long way. It does. It does. <laughs> and I've totally failed my kids plenty of times. And, you know, being able to say to them, look, I'm not perfect. None of us are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but but I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. Um, I need you to forgive me sometimes. You need me to forgive you sometimes. And we're in this together for as long as you need us to be here for you. Well, thank you so much, Christy. I am just so pleased to have you here. And uh, maybe in a few minutes we can come back and see if anything has uh, changed or, you know, but I think this education, I know when I was working as a recruiter for foster parents, there uh, there was no information for me. So I can't imagine for a foster parent. Well, I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Again, uh, Christy Tenet Crispin, you also have a Facebook page and a fostered life. And as we continue to talk with community members that are making a difference, you can also find this episode after it airs on Podcast One under Spotlight. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thank you. This is Mandy Ringenberg with a Sunday morning shout out. This week's shout out goes to Bartell Drugs and their partnership with the Salvation Army for the annual Toy and Joy Drive. Each year, the Salvation Army teams up with local Bartell drugstores to champion the annual Toy and Joy Drive. Anytime you stop at one of their 66 neighborhood locations, shop or donate any new unwrapped gifts and simply drop them off on your way out at their Toy and Joy bins inside. Then these exciting new toys will go to children in Puget Sound. Many families are unable to purchase gifts for loved ones during the holidays, and it's toy drives like these that truly make a difference for many kids in need. Some of those suggestions on what to donate include arcade games, Lego sets, holiday-shaped puzzles, even fun games like Jenga and Uno cards that we all played growing up are always fun gifts to donate. Other fun stuff to donate are kid-friendly makeup and beauty items such as face masks and nail polish. Even gift cards are totally okay to donate. Don't have time to shop a little bit extra? You can always donate money when you check out. And of course, these funds will go towards purchasing holiday gifts in time for Christmas. For more items on maybe what you can purchase or donate, visit Bartell's website. That's bartelldrugs.com slash blog slash toy enjoy. Happy holidays and happy gift giving to those in your community.